This Marketplace podcast is supported by Invest Puerto Rico. Build the future in paradise. Puerto Rico, a hub for innovators brimming with world-class talent and a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem. Learn more at investpr.org backslash marketplace today. <clears throat> oh, geez. <laughs> As I'm going. clearing my throat. Oh, surprise. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. My goodness gracious. Hey, everybody, I'm Kyle Rizdahl. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where even when we're not ready, we make today make sense. I mean, in fairness, we did say we could go. But I'm Kimberly <laughs> Adams. Thank you so That's much true. for joining us. It's Monday, oh and it really, truly is a Monday. The 17th uh, of April, we've got some news today, news fixes, and some smiles to get to. So let's dive right into the news fix. Kai, why don't you go first? All right, I'll tell you what, I'm going full wonky, dorky, whatever, lots of uh, economic and working that's papers. that's why we that love w- you, Kai. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, you know, you come across these things and they kind of, they sort of like pique your interest and you're like, oh, that's an interesting mm-hmm. little nugget. So, yeah. um, uh, two working papers that crossed my uh, social feed today. Um, even in the reduced amount of time that I'm using uh, the, the, I was about the to social ask network. about that. I was just going to say, even the <laughs> amount of reduced amount of time I'm using the social network that shall not be named. Um, these two came across and they, they hit me as interesting. The first is a report from the Congressional Budget Office, which is, for those who are not familiar, the nonpartisan uh, office that is responsible for assisting the Congress to figure out what to do about the federal budget. And I would say here that any blame on not fe- figuring out what has to do with the federal budget lies with Congress, not the CBO. They are career professionals. They are uh, very skilled at what they do, and they work super hard. Uh, anyway, the CBO is out with a new paper. It's it's working paper 2023-04, the U.S. dollar is an international currency and its economic effects. And I will, sorry, opening the door so Bonsai can come in. Um, mm-hmm. I will spare you the details, but there has been some chatter lately in economic circles about the possible decline of the dollar as the global reserve currency. And people are saying, oh, my goodness, the Chinese renminbi is going to overtake it, the Chinese yuan, or uh, the euro is going to overtake uh, the dollar as the international reserve currency. Uh, can I pause you look, for a moment? Yes, ma'am. I, I do of think course it's you can. worth um, explaining what it actually means to be the international reserve currency. Well, right. So that is the entire theme and purpose of this paper. And it and it's really mm-hmm. interesting because it's in layman's layperson's terms. Um, It's easy to understand. It lays out the benefits, some of the costs, uh, and it comes to a conclusion, which is that the U.S. dollar net-net for the American economy is a positive and more to the point, and this is almost literally the bottom line of the abstract. Over the next decade, the dollar's international use is expected to decline very gradually, but it will not be overtaken by either of its closest competitors, the euro or the Chinese renminbi. So, this is, it's like a 15-page paper. It's not long at all. We'll put it on the show page. It's kind of interesting, but it lays out all the goods and all the bads. And if you're interested in macroeconomic stuff, this is actually a really interesting paper to read. So and that's one of my little And here's why the dollar matters. And Kai's right, and that's really 
clear in layperson's term. So here's just one nugget, and this is under the section, the dollar's current status as an international currency. As of 2023, the U.S. dollar remains the primary international currency, although some metrics suggest the dollar's strength has eroded over the past two decades. Dollar-denominated assets, such as U.S. Treasury securities, account for the largest share of all foreign exchange reserves held by central banks around the world. As an international unit of account, the dollar is still the most popular international currency for setting trade prices and for denominating financial assets. Um, and so, and in, in addition, evidence suggests the dollar mm-hmm. remains most commonly used anchor currency by international central banks. So when we say that the dollar is the international reserve currency, we mean that banks are holding it, governments are holding it, and businesses are using it to make their deals globally all the time. And that then has knock-on consequences in the way that Kai was talking about and also that this paper lays out. Yes. So there's that. Working paper number two comes from the National Bureau of Economic Research. It's called The Offshore World According to FACTA, which I'll explain in a minute. New evidence on the foreign wealth of U.S. households. So this is a paper on how much uh, American wealth is held overseas. Okay, FACTA mm-hmm. is the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, and it lays out you know who holds what assets overseas. And here's the little nugget that struck me uh, as interesting. We find that U.S. taxpayers hold around $4 trillion in foreign accounts, almost half in jurisdictions usually considered tax havens. Why does that matter? Well, look, of course, it is legal to hold money overseas. It is legal to hold money in tax havens. But we have something of a budget crunch in this country. And we have an internal revenue service, which is underfunded and under-resourced and thus is not collecting as many taxes, as much dollars in taxes as it should. And part of the reason is because Americans are very clever in um, rich Americans, let's be clear, really rich (laughs) Americans are hiding their assets overseas, which is, again, completely legal. But of the $4 trillion held in foreign accounts, approximately $2 trillion is held in tax havens. And we ought to just all be aware of that. Yeah. That's amazing. Isn't that wild? That's so much money. It is. so much money. It's so much money, and it's kind of an interesting segue into my news fix, um, which is about the complete opposite end of the economic spectrum in the United States, um, which is about nonprofits and the people who need services from nonprofits. So I guess it's also about wealthier Americans who donate their time and money and services to nonprofits. So apparently... There is a nationwide shortage of volunteers for nonprofits, mm. and there has been a precipitous drop in volunteer participation um, across the country. And this is a story from the Associated Press, and it says, according to a, U- a recent U.S. Census Bureau and AmeriCorps survey, formal volunteer participation was just 23.2 percent, dropping seven percentage points between 2019 and 2021, the largest decrease the survey has recorded since a version of it started in 2002. And in several states, there's double-digit drops in the number of people hmm. volunteering, and there's all these stories about people, um, you know, who are still volunteering, really scrambling, trying to get more volunteers in the pipeline to provide some of these services, especially for people who are experiencing homelessness or for victims of domestic violence. And some of these volunteer opportunities require training. And so 
getting hmm. people not only to volunteer their time, but volunteer enough time to get training. And there's a bunch of reasons for this. You know, there's the pandemic and a lot of people not feeling comfortable putting themselves out there. There's also, you know, retirees who make up a lot of volunteer populations working longer, um, people having to take on caregiving responsibilities who might otherwise have used time for volunteering. And so demand for food uh, and also the demand is higher. So the demand for food assistance is up. So... If you have some time, beloved listeners of Make Me Smart, (laughs) you can also volunteer in an animal shelter as well. That's right. right. Sorry. (laughs) In case Kai decides to give up his I know, right? No. I know. You never would. She just turned 12 or something. Aw. Jasper's turning 14 in a couple of months. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, he's he's deaf and asthmatic and just sleeps a lot, but oh. bless his little heart. He's real pathetic. He has these little cat asthma attacks, and he's got, like, a cat inhaler. It's real sad. Oh, wow. I don't even know how that works. He, it, it's it's an endeavor. It's an endeavor. Anyway, uh, all right, time to do some smiles. Yes. Okay, right, so my yes, my make me smile is directly tied to my news item, which is a piece in Vox about small acts of kindness and how much they matter more than you might think. And there's all this research showing that people really undervalue how much it means to other people when you do something nice for them, whether that's just sending a little note to a a friend you maybe haven't talked to in a while, saying hello, helping out somebody on the street, you know, maybe somebody's got heavy bags or whatever, a thank you note, a compliment to a stranger that is appropriate, keep it in line. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) These things really make a difference and make people feel so good. And just if you're thinking about, and it also makes you feel good. Often there's like direct correlation between doing something nice for somebody else and a positive return in your own emotional well-being. So do something nice for people and it will probably make you feel better. And, you know, my dad used to say, if it costs you very little and it means a lot to somebody else, why not go ahead and do it? There you go. I like that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, that's good mentality. Uh, yeah. Okay. Here are my two. They're uh, they're not the traditional make me smile, ha ha, smile. This is cute or whatever thing. It's just things of interest that made me um, that amused me a little bit. First of all, uh, not that they didn't launch, but uh, SpaceX came super super close today to getting that big giant rocket off the ground. They had a pressurization problem, but they fueled the thing. They took the countdown to. T-minus 10 seconds. This is Starship, that 400-foot-tall aluminum, whatever the heck it is, rocket that's going to eventually go to Mars. Um, So that was super cool. I just think it's great that they got that done. Space geek that I am. Um, 48 hours, and they'll be able to try again. So that's item one. (laughs) Item two, and this is a little bit snarky, and I apologize in advance, but I literally laughed out loud today when I read in the New York Times that George Santos... Uh, the Republican representative from Long Island in New York, the much troubled uh, representative from Long Island in New York, um, it has announced he's going to run for re-election. And I just, I just, I couldn't not laugh. And I think the the people that that is going to please the most are Democrats on Long Island. Over the weekend, just, there were several pieces about the um, 
Federal Election Commission filings for various Mm -hmm. campaigns because it was Uh the first quarterly filing deadline in this Mm -hmm. campaign cycle for people who've actually said they're going to run. We learned a bunch of different things, including that Nikki Haley fudged her numbers a little bit and that DeSantis is not raising nearly as much money as he needs to. Um, But one of the things that we learned was that George Santos, Representative George Santos, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. has actually refunded more money than he has brought in to his campaign. (laughs) That's kind of great. I'm going to, I'm going to read this. Uh, this is, it was a bunch of different places, but I'm reading, um, from Yahoo news right now. Um, Overall, Santos returned nearly $8,400 in donations, which is more money than he raised. As a result of his net loss, Santos's cash on hand is just over $25,000. He raised $5,333.26 in the first quarter, but received refunds, and but refunded more than that amount. Uh, in That's contrast... Great. Another Republican from Nassau County raised $215,000 from individual donors and more than $300,000 from political action committees. So that shows that not only is Santos barely getting any money from individual donors, he's definitely not getting money from the party. So, And he's having to give money back. There we go. There we go. Mm, I mean, it is yep. a make me smile because... It kind of is. What goes I, I actually left out loud. You know, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That is it for today. Tomorrow, please join us for our weekly deep dive. And this week, we are going to our favorite topic, which is space, but specifically the space economy. And who knows? Maybe we'll have more news on certain rocket launches by then. But regardless, <laughs> we're going to get into what the space economy actually is. There's a bunch of different space economies, as it actually turns out, and what it means for our economy as a whole. And how all this might work once NASA and other countries and agencies establish a human footprint on the moon. In the meanwhile, send us your questions, your comments, your thoughts. 508-UB-SMART. 508-UB-S-M-A-R-T. Email us if you like. Make me smart at marketplace.org. We'll get them. We read them all. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's program was engineered by Juan Carlos Torado. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter, and our intern is Antonio Barreras. Marissa Cabrera is the senior producer of this podcast. Bridget Bodner is the director of all the Marketplace podcasts. Francesca Levy is the executive director of Digital and On Demand around these parts. <laughs>